So let's start. Yeah. Everyone feeling good? Woo. Yeah. Feel good. So uh, as you guys know, I don't really know how to start the podcast yet, but something like, welcome to Late to the Movies, a podcast where my friends and I get to fill in our movie blind spots. Every week, we'll pick a movie that either I or a guest hasn't seen before, but really should have by now. This week, we're talking about Dead Poet Society. Uh, 1989 picture by Peter Weir, starring Robin Williams and a super young Ethan Hawke and uh, Robert Sean Lawrence, I believe is... Leonard. Fuck. Yep. Robert Sean Leonard, yeah, Wilson from House. And uh, Josh Charles is a baby is also in it. Um, Yeah. Uh, With me today, the person who had not seen it before, once again, is Robbie. (laughs) Aha, I don't watch movies. (laughs) Again, both you and Corey, a big boon to the podcast. Noah has seen the movie before and said it was one of his favorites, right? I did, and I had to rewatch it because I forget a lot of it, except some of the major like important scenes. That's interesting. So I actually feel the same way. We'll get into it more in a little bit, but I I had forgotten more about this movie than I realized I had when I same. went to rewatch it yeah, over same. the last few days. I think almost everyone did because I've talked to a couple of people this movie and I mentioned like the ending and they were like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Well, it's a pretty big part of the movie. It's like the turn. I, I mean, if you don't remember that, I don't really know what you remember about the movie. Yeah, the that's fair. The desk part. <laughs> exactly. That's, I think, and and we'll get to all this, but yeah, the stuff that gets parodied in it is really just in the last three minutes of the movie, and mm-hmm. it's two hours and eight minutes long. So yeah. there's a lot of other stuff, too, that I was surprised at how much I liked, but we'll get into that in a little bit. First off, we always start with just random talk about nonsense. So what have you guys been watching movie or TV-wise or none of the above? I saw Blade Runner recently. <laughs> oh, nice. Had you seen it before? Uh, not the original cut, no. Okay. No. Interesting. I, uh, yeah, I uh, watched the one that was on Netflix. What'd you think of it? I thought it was really good. Yeah. Overall, good, it was good. right? Yeah. Yeah, it was Blade good. I've been watching uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine for like my third time because I love it. I'm there so you go. Comfort food's important too. Mm. I've been watching very long video game reviews, of which I will also talk about in the Blade Runner episode, nice. <laughs> but not for this one. Robbie, you haven't seen this movie before, so do you want to give us a brief plot overview? Sure. Uh, all right. We got a bunch of stuffy old dudes that want to run a school like boring people in like... I don't know. First question is always, do these people have fun? Like, do they enjoy what they're doing? Because they exist. And I just, I would really love to talk to them as a person. Anyways, they're they're running a school. It's terrible. Kids are all miserable. They're just, you know, basically memorizing a bunch of bullshit. Uh, Robin Williams comes in and he's like, hey, you guys should be people and have feelings. And they're like, what? And then uh, he like has them wait, read poetry and they're a bunch of horny teenagers. So now they're like extra horny and they got to go find women. So they do. There's like a whole subplot there. Turns out the real moral of the story is if you're real shitty, your kid kills himself because then that happens. And uh, they kick uh kick McKissin Turkeen out of the school. All the kids realize how much they love him and the old bastards win. That's how that uh, that goes. We're not going to describe it in any kind of great detail because the movie doesn't show it in any kind of great detail. But yeah, important to note up top, content warning for suicide. Um, but I think that's a pretty succinct explanation of the plot. Yeah. I don't, yeah, it seems like fun isn't allowed. I don't know if they're having fun. It's, if it's just, a, this is what they do. This is how men behave and are su- expected to be, you know, important men in the 
autumn of 1959 when the movie takes place. Oh, I was going to ask that. Like, okay. I was wondering, I knew it was old, but it was right. 89. So I'm like, but they wouldn't have had much of this tech we have now anyway. But yeah, you could have given me like a 20 year span, like anywhere between 50 and 70. I would have been like, yeah, probably. I don't know. Especially like with boarding school where like, oh, well maybe they did have cool shit, but not at boarding school. You get a fucking room with some tests. But I haven't asked. Can I just swear? I swear a lot. Is that a problem? Yeah, everybody does. It's cool. All right. Okay. Good. Kids, close your ears. Mm Mm-hmm. So this movie, ostensibly starring Robin Williams, he's the name above the title on the poster, but it's really more about this group of kids who are inspired by Mr. Keating, Robin Williams' teachings. They see that he used to belong to a club called the Dead Poet Society, which was an unsanctioned kind of reading workshop for poetry where Robin Williams and a few friends would head out to the old quote-unquote Indian cave and read poems to each other, sometimes of their own verse, which isn't how people talk. Just um, just imagine a world where the rebellious kids sneak off and read Thoreau. It's like, oh man, those, yeah. those are some badasses over there. And almost get expelled because of it. It's like, wow, we cannot tell the administration of this. I'd laugh at them. And then the administration finds out and they're like, holy shit. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but, I like the, sorry, to yeah, bring the summary up. I was just thinking of like how prude they are and stuff. And one of the scenes where they're like all just hanging out and they built like a radio or something. <laughs> and uh, one of the teach or the headmaster comes and he's like, that's not a radio, is it? And they like hide it under the desk. Like, oh no, no, gee, no, sir. No, I wasn't engineering complex machinery <laughs> in my dorm room. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Well, they're not allowed to listen to music. Apparently Mm-mm. it's like extra bad footloose. <laughs> yeah. It's extra bad footloose. Um, that's in a lot of ways, really dancing bad, not far enough. Poetry, unless it's about math is horrible. (laughs) They love math though. Yes. So that's, um, I don't know how granularly we need to break down like every lesson, but that's essentially the brunt of it. It's these, this group of boys who reform the dead poet society. And it's about them going through what seems to be maybe three or four months of this school year. And a lot of stuff happens. It's a coming-of-age story, and Robin Williams, like I said, is the name above the title, but it's really about these kids. And the kids, as we mentioned at the top, one is Ethan Hawke playing Todd. There's uh, Robertron Leonard. Yeah, he's playing Neil. And uh, the most preppy-sounding name for the guy who's had the most preppy-looking career, Josh Charles, plays Knox Overstreet. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if you guys are too familiar with him, but he's in, Mm-mm. he always plays like a super preppy guy. It, it, Knox is the character with the girl, right? The love interest? Yes. Okay. Okay. I might be thinking of the wrong one. Yeah. I don't actually know any of their names. I just wait for context clues. Oh, fair and enough. I I'm, okay. I'm so bad. <laughs> yeah. Josh Charles is the main character in The Good Wife. He's in over a hundred episodes of that. Wow. Mm. It's on Sports Night, which is a proto Aaron Sorkin thing before West Wing. I think it's the Aaron Sorkin show before West Wing. And uh, as I was watching this movie, I was thinking how much Aaron Sorkin must enjoy this because he stole the ending for Trial of the Chicago 7 and then also writes a lot of his stuff like this. Yeah, pretty early on in one of the classes, Robin Williams says, gather you rosebuds while you may, which is a line Aaron Sorkin's used at least three or four times in his different shows. Interesting. So definitely uh, a big influence on him and a lot of other things. I don't know if you guys know that much about Peter Weir, but he's the director of this movie. And uh, he's he's got like a really interesting career. He comes out of Australia in the 70s 
makes a couple really interesting movies. One is The Cars That Ate Paris. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> yep. No, no exactly. further context needed, right? I was going to say, yeah. is it about exactly what I think it's about? <laughs> kind of. So he's he's from Australia, and there's a town called Paris in Australia, and basically it's a horror comedy okay. where the townspeople are tricking people driving through the town into car crashes, kind of. Oh, I haven't seen okay. it, but that's that's just my hmm. understanding. I was thinking like Transformers meets. <laughs> yeah. And then after that is his big early career hit. This not, not even a hit, just this big kind of seminal movie called Picnic at Hanging Rock. Have you guys ever heard of this? Mm-mm. So it's sort of the movie that's associated with a movement called Australia New Wave. Um, not to get we're, we don't have to get too in the weeds because it's just so pretentious too. But basically, Picnic at Hanging Rock is this awesome movie that's really he filmed it to look sort of like an impressionist painting. And it is about a group of girls at a boarding school. And then stuff goes pretty badly. Huh, it's kind of, yeah, it's it sort of has a lot in common with modern elevated horror movies, except there's not really any horror in it. Uh, it's like a horror movie without horror, kind of. Like all the tension. Yeah, you can describe it as like a mystery, but, but the short log line, and this isn't a spoiler because this is the premise of the movie. It's not like a late part of the movie. They're at this boarding school and these girls go on a picnic and they go off with a couple teachers and some of them just don't come back and they never find them. <laughs> Creepy. And the movie's about people trying to find them and uh, dealing with the, the grief and the shame and all that fun stuff. Huh. So that movie comes out and is awesome, but that's in 75. He breaks through in America about 10 years later with a couple of Harrison Ford movies, Witness and Mosquito Coast. And then 89's Dead Poet Society, 98's The Truman Show, hmm. and 2003's Master and Commander, which is an awesome, oh, awesome movie. movie. <laughs> I would never have suspected. And then that. that's in 2003, and he's made one movie since then. He basically retired. So hmm. uh, Weird Dude with an interesting career has made a lot of different kinds of movies. At least uh, at some point, I feel like Truman Show would be a fun one to do, too. So that was a good we'll movie. get back to Weird eventually. I think I know someone that hasn't seen that. Is it you? This it's guy. it's me. <laughs> it is me. You really didn't. Well, I mean, in your defense, is what ninety eight. We were what seven. seven yeah, so, yeah. you know, you see Master fine. and Commander. Oh, you would dig <laughs> it. I think. Too. Yeah, it's great. There's the problem with it is it came out right in the Pirates of the Caribbean era, and I was like, I'm not watching another stupid fucking pirate movie. <laughs> but it's not. Though. It's better than that. I'm, yeah, I'm sure it is. It's so just good. I mean, 2003. That's like right in the pirate era, and I was like, uh, no. It might be my favorite Russell Crowe movie over Gladiator. But oh, um, wow, it's strong. Yeah, it, Paul Bettany's in it. Movie. It's really good. It's surprisingly good. I have seen Gladiator, so there you go. The one thing that I do want to kind of track: Peter Weir from Australia. There's a lot of droning in the soundtrack. He didn't do the music, mm. but I definitely picked up on, I don't know what it is, mm. but this sort of stereotypical, I don't know if it's didgeridoos or whatever. Wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of that. Happening. That's a really good impression. Of one. <laughs> yeah, there's a, I, I, I do it. A lot of that happening, especially when it sort of gets weird, whether it's when the kids are running through the forest or when Neil gets back from the play and is thinking about killing himself, it's that weird music happening. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's that happening, and Quit then that didgeridoo. So I couldn't, I couldn't connect this mentally, and then Robin Williams plays bagpipes. Mm, yes, and there's some, there's one oh. just absolutely amazing shot that is just there, so Peter Weir can be like, "Oh, I'm really good at making movies." Where it's just a transition shot where it's morning. And there's this golden light coming down and it's Robin Williams playing bagpipes on the dock of the lake. And it's just him silhouetted by this sort of like golden pink light. And you're like, well, that didn't need to be in here. So I missed it. I didn't, I know what scene you're talking about and I didn't it's, realize. It's it just a transition. Bagpipes. It's not even, it's not even anything. It might not even be, but I think he's the one with the bagpipes. I hope he is. Um, just because bagpipes are weird and he's weird, I guess. Um, <laughs> Uh, in, in other hands, this movie would be a lot less, would have a lot less beauty, maybe, or definitely a lot less weirdness, too. So I, I just wanted to point that out as a sort of way to kick off a discussion about the movie itself and how surprising it was to me and how much I enjoyed it for the craft of how it was made. Um, but but anyway, if there's anything you guys want to talk about, I've been monologuing for a while and I'm tired. Okay. I um bringing up that particular scene i really enjoyed a lot of the um the scenery that they they had in the in the movie maybe it's just because like i'm from new england so i have special that's fair i don't even know if it was filmed in like new england but that's the kind of vibes i get i think it's supposed to be in vermont but they filmed in delaware oh okay but whatever it looks like new england yeah it had all those kind of vibes yeah and i enjoyed just like the some of the scenes like where they're playing um uh soccer with the classical music in the background and I don't know, just some of those shots. One, the one where um, I, for, I think it was Knox was riding his bicycle down a hill and there's like uh, yeah, a bunch yeah. of geese. There's like a lot of like little so stuff good. like that thrown in there that I feel like, like you were saying with that scene with the bagpipes didn't need to be in there, but just added to like the beauty of the film. It gets pretty good reviews when it comes out It wins the Academy Award for screenplay, but it is much more beloved overseas um, it, really? Yeah, it wins hmm. the equivalent of best movie at the for the top prize in Britain, Italy, and in France um, for foreign film, some of it, but still, I can kind of see why because it has everything Europeans love, right? There's there's like young men coming of age at a boarding school, riding bikes through the countryside. <laughs> <laughs> there's a de- decent amount of homoeroticism, like it's everything Europeans really love. So. Uh, you know, I can see why Americans were kind of not as... When I say Americans, they're notable critics at the time. You'd probably say Roger Ebert and Siskel, uh, Pauline Kael, Leonard Maltin, all these sort of like luminaries of American film criticism all thought it was at best fine. And at worst, both Siskel and Ebert thought it was the worst movie nominated for Oscars that year. Oh, wow. And it's just sort of this kind of like suspension of disbelief that feels like when you watch European movies, they don't take themselves quite as seriously sometimes. I think especially French movies. Um, If you think of like their version of Blade Runner as Fifth Element, and that's just so silly Mm. and nonsense. Um, Also, I haven't seen Fifth Element. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. But that's a Luc Besson film, even though it's, you know, an American production or whatever. Oh, it didn't. No, it's like a French. Yeah, it, it has well. such a French sensibility. And, and again, there's guys dressed as women and just mm-hmm. a lot of singing. <laughs> but, um, 
the Europeans just appreciated. Yeah. I feel like I'm good. rambling a lot tonight, but I'm, but it's okay. It's good content. I don't know about that. Point being, there is a sort of quality of this movie that I feel like a lot of the most prestigious, if you want to say that, American critics couldn't get over themselves enough to let themselves enjoy it for what it is. Mm-hmm. And that didn't seem to be as big a problem for the Europeans. And I might cut out everything I said in between those two. Just forts. leave it in. <laughs> anyway, what do you what did you guys think about the movie? Um, I I had a couple of thoughts. I was wondering uh, if the Dead Poets was a real actual group because they started re- reading off like David Henry David, David Thoreau and like a couple other people. So I'm wondering if there was some kind of like I mean I think they did a movie The Skulls or something like that about a Harvard secret society that actually did exist. It's what Yale is Skull and Bones? Sc- I think? Skull and Yale. Yeah. But um, you know I was just wondering if that's a thing. I didn't, uh, didn't have a chance to look that up yet. I think those kinds of like secret societies exist at prep schools where they're you know don't have as much else to do i guess <laughs> but yeah i don't know if it is or not I, I don't think so but i could be wrong i don't know the the school itself is fictional but obviously there's plenty of schools like it it's not that far outside of a realistic depiction of how those boarding prep schools would have looked in 1959 in you know rural new england i assume that's pretty much how they looked and felt mm-hmm. mm. Oh, I liked in the beginning when he was asking, uh, Charlie, tell me why they swoon. I thought that was just like a, a hilarious little <laughs> little bit in there. Like, tell me why. It's like, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows why women swoon. I know. He was, he was so curious. <laughs> yeah. I really love the way it depicts these guys. It feels pretty much like what teenage boys are like. <laughs> Absolutely. And it helps that there's they're actually teenage boys. I think all of them are actually teenage they're not you know 24 playing 18 they're yeah it does that does help i think they're all around 18 or 19 in this movie so um yeah it's it super helps and i don't know they're they're really good i feel like all the dudes are really good yeah i would agree you can tell they're just having a good time with it yeah go ahead when he grabs uh grabs his poetry and they're like running around and like all of a sudden somebody's got a flute and it's like what the (laughs) hell is going on in here yeah there's just so much like pent-up energy and that starts as a fight and then turns into just this sort of outburst of ecstatic i don't know just expression excuses for them to like touch each other a bunch maybe (laughs) who knows Uh, we'll we'll get into that, I'm sure, later, too. <laughs> I just saw a meme that was like, men invented arm wrestling so they could hold hands and look each other in the eye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, exactly. Um, we're doing Goodwill Hunting soon. That is what he won an Academy Award for. He got nominated for this role. But I feel like this sort of capitalizes on what makes him such an endearing performer almost more. I just feel like it's such a good use of him and capitalizes on him without having him stand out from the story it's telling, which I feel like is like almost a magic trick. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you put it really well because he did, he, he is what I, in this movie, what I imagine him to just be as like a normal person. Like if he were an English teacher, I feel like that's what he would be like. Like the part where he's, um, reading he's doing like lines of Shakespeare but he's doing it in like John Wayne and like all these different accents I'm like oh that's 
just Robin Williams. I'm I'm sad yeah. I didn't write it down, but there was one part where one of the people said something, and his like immediate re- knee jerk was just like, "Well, that's blah 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 blah. What are you?" And it was just like such a classic, like Robin Williams. It was like that was I, I don't know. I just loved it. It was yeah, very yeah. much what we we're talking about though, where it was just like I don't even think it was scripted. I think the kid just said something, and Robin went ran with it. I wish I wrote it down, but I, I know what you mean, but I can't think of the specific part either. But there there is a lot of times like that where even when he does kind of dip into the kind of manic energy, it still works in the scene, mm-hmm. um, which is, I don't know. It feels like it almost shouldn't, but it, it just works for me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't for a lot of people, apparently. Oh, is that what the critics are getting at? Is they don't like that blend of like... Kind of. They think uh, it's too much of his onstage persona, but I probably disagree. Yeah, we'll get to the criticism parts at the end, but f- but for now, I I don't know. This might be my favorite use of Robin Williams in a dramatic role. Hmm. Yeah, so good. I, I would agree with that. It sets up this kind of malaise at the beginning that's then cut with the Robin Williams stuff, and that first class has a lot of the iconic parts of it. But uh, another thing that I, I I appreciated how Weir did it, and again, I can see why if you took any of these moments out of context and just looked at them without watching it in the context of the movie, it probably comes across as really corny or maybe a little cloying or dishonest or whatever. But in the movie, I feel like it works really well. And the sequence where he has them look at the pictures of like the 1901 football team or whatever, and is like whispering carpe diem into the boy's ears. Again, if you just took that out of context, you're like, oh, this is like a comedic scene. Mm. But it's not played that way in the movie. It's actually really affecting. Yes. And it's the slow pans over the black and white faces and the, in the portraits on the wall and him whispering and, and the music kind of all drops out and stuff. And you're like, Oh, this is actually pretty affecting. Yeah. And I mean, Robin Williams is the type of person where, like we were saying, if he was a teacher, he absolutely would do something like that. And he would be able to do it with that. Like, I mean, your natural reaction as like a kid or a viewer would be to, like nobody's saying carpe but he he just it works for him i, yeah. I don't know why but he's yeah. got his good and you get why it just casts a spell on these kids because it sets up every other class is strictly boring lecturing mm-hmm. and that's it they sit there and listen to do lecture mm. I, I like how they um they had the cuts of them going to the different classes and then the the cut of his his class just to show like the stark comparison of how different yeah exactly his style was from the the rest of the film and they, Going. <laughs> I was gonna say I found myself under a spell too. There's parts of the movie where I was just like listening to him, like like you could see the kids' faces, and I'm sure my face looked like that at some points too. Yeah, when he was talking. And then uh, another thing that it does that's probably not subtle, but whatever, is the class. One of the classes it shows, maybe even the one right before his the first Robin Williams class, is a Latin class. Mm where the professor is just saying Latin words and they're saying them back and they're so disengaged. And then the Robin Williams class, also kind of a Latin class with Carpe Diem. Um, but they're obvious, they're just so much more locked in and you see that immediately. Mm-hmm. Well, the Latin was especially because he wasn't, it wasn't even different words. It was different conjugations, of the same word. Yeah. It, it was just like, oh my God. And the thing that killed me with it is that we're just repeating it back and forth. There was no like, you didn't know what any of them meant. I have no idea what the purpose of that class was other than just be boring as hell, but it's yeah. obviously the That's what director's what going mm-hmm. for, yeah. Pretty early on, um, Josh Charles's character, Knox, goes to a dinner at a family friend's house, and you see 
the sort of baseline for how all these guys are going to react to just seeing a girl. <laughs> mm. Yes. Um, he completely loses his mind basically <laughs> and is ruined for the rest of the movie just by seeing a girl. She's not a girl. She's the most beautiful girl he's ever seen. Yeah. Man. See, now you know why they can't handle shoulders. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. So this, that, that begins his whole plot line of trying to get this girl to fall for him that, is trying to shut him down a lot of times in different he's, ways. He's persistent. You he know, is there's, persistent. There's a minor sexual harassment B plot. It's okay. A little bit. <laughs> so one of the things I remembered about this movie was that and that one of the kids dies. And that was like my going into it was that. And that part in my mind was a lot worse than it was in the movie. Still not cool. Not saying no. it's cool. Mm-hmm. Not, not great. Even in 1959, the people knew it was like pretty fucked up yeah so that that can tell you hmm. but um that and that one of the kids dies and i couldn't remember specifically how i thought it was a car crash for something for some reason i'm realizing after watching it it's just because he's in a car be- right before <laughs> and uh, everyone's sad when he gets in a car <laughs> oh, gotcha. yep. anyway um that's later on but it sets up that and then he goes back to the boarding school and is like really talking up this interaction that lasted no more than seven seconds with a girl who was just like, Oh, who are you? Okay. I'll get the, I'll get the parents. <laughs> and that again, just ringing true to how boys are right. Mm-hmm. That he's back in like, they're all getting ready for bed or whatever. And he's like, you guys aren't going to believe us. I met the most beautiful girl. I can tell she's into me. <laughs> well, then he calls her and she's like, I was hoping you called. You want to come to go to a party? It's like, that was their entire conversation. She didn't even want to know why he called. She's just like, I'm glad you called. Let's go to a party. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, that's how he takes it, but it's really just like, there is a big party. and Oh, that's true. That's true. Do you want to also attend? And then they're like, the, the other friends are there and they're like, you know, she's not saying that she wants to go with you to the party. He's like, oh yeah, no, I got that. It's fine. I'm just going to like follow her around weirdly anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Read poetry to her in her public school. That was a fun distinction too to see like immediately they just had like a fish out of water thing with him where he was like supposed to be the nerdy kid there, which I thought was funny because he was like drinking a beer like it wasn't a problem, which really wouldn't have been in in uh, 69 because they were like 59, 59, like a year away from the drinking age. It's like, oh, whiskey. I don't drink whiskey. It's like, oh, yeah, he's a nerd because he doesn't drink whiskey. Yeah. (laughs) No. uh, But no, it was was funny though because they were just like a lot more rambunctious and you could tell like that's probably why these other girls in the cave were so like, oh, you read poetry because these other guys are like all stereotypical football player yeah. jock type yeah yeah and there he so he's at the party and the guys make him drink whiskey because they think he's the kid brother of someone else and he's like no i'm good i'm just gonna head out and they're like no stay here and then they like make him drink and stuff and it feels a lot like a similar scene in super bad where michael sarah stumbles into a room and they think he's someone's brother. Oh, yeah. And super bad they make him sing. They don't make Josh Trell sing in this one, but Yes, that's another high school coming of age guys who don't know how to interact with women movie. Yep. Nice. That's a shout out to Dead Poet Society. Probably. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. So we, we we should talk about they start doing these meetings again in the again, quote unquote Indian cave hmm. in the woods. Uh their first walk there is another one of these sequences that is filmed like a horror movie <laughs> where they're kind of slow motion running through this misty dark woods and they all have their hoods on 
and you're like, I don't know why they did this, but I like it. It looks cool. <laughs> it's like visually I'm into it. I'm not questioning it. Um, and then the, the meeting starts and I don't know, you guys have any thoughts about their meetings? I like their meetings. <laughs> I liked how each one was like a little bit different and they were bringing like different energies and yeah. Yeah. Different vibes. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I thought they did a good job with that. I thought, uh, it was, I lost my train of thought. That's oh, okay. uh, I just, Shoot I really you. like the, uh, I like the <laughs> Thoreau quote they use. I think that's one of my favorite quotes by him. Uh, even sucking the marrow out of life. Yeah. Well, just the live deliberately part. I like the, I wish mm. to live deliberately. I, th- I say that to myself a lot. If I'm trying to like make a decision, it's like, what would I deliberately do? Let's not do things stupidly. Mm. Yeah. You know, I'm just kind of willy nilly, but I do also know that Thoreau was a, th- Fraud living in his mom's cabin while he was writing that kind of stuff. So oh, really? great his mom's cabin. It, well, so he like he went off into the woods, but the woods was like walking distance from home. So his mom would like drop him off like lunches <laughs> and stuff like that. Like it's like I wish to live del- deliberately, but mom, I'm gonna need that meatloaf at five. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, being just a cool thinker doesn't always pay the bills. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> Mm-hmm. As Diogenes, I was yeah. I was gonna say something about the like the big scene, but I don't know if we want to get there. Let's never talk about that okay. scene. <laughs> Perfect. I will say when uh, when I don't know his name, but I called him Red <laughs> when he oh, showed. Go ahead. When the guy's dad showed up, I was like, oh, he's gonna put up so, his foot up so many asses, and it turned yeah. out he did put his foot up so yeah, many asses. That that actor is Kurtwood Smith, and. Uh, I was going to make a comment about that, about watching him on um, that 70s show and then seeing that, basically that character, but not portrayed in like a comedic light. It's the same character. It's yeah. just like there's not a laugh that track was, behind yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. That was the weirdest part about it. I think a 70s show is what, eight years after this? I think it starts like 96, 97, something like that. Yep. Yeah. Um. So maybe more. Yeah. So like eight-ish years after this, he looks the same. Yeah, like literally. A lot of the same energy. I guess that's just what he does as an actor. <laughs> hey, if it works. Yeah. Um, right around this point in the movie, you also get the the introduction of the idea of desk standing, where uh, Robin Williams has everyone stand up on desk, in, like in in turn, just and just to be like, ah, stuff looks different. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> much. It's like the most fun they had in a week. Yeah, they got to stand on a desk a little bit. That was cool. I remember uh, one of my teachers did that as like an exercise. And I had seen the movie like around that time. I was like, I know where you got that from. <laughs> I think a lot of teachers wanted to be this kind of If I was a teacher, I would, I would want to be yeah. Mr. Keating. You want to have that effect on people. Yeah. Uh, knowing what I know about teaching today, just the, even the first time he came into the classroom and everyone was quiet, I was like... It's not like that. Though. <laughs> it's a lot harder to get their attention, I think, uh, today for well, most of my friends who teach. As we found out, those kids were under threat of corporal punishment, yeah. so that does, does make for a quieter class. The paddle. That's true. Around here-ish is when Charlie publishes an article under the name Dead Poets Society, or I guess under the byline of the Dead Poets Society in the school paper about how women should be uh, allowed into the school. Please, is, we're so horny. Yeah, pretty much. 
He has a good bit at a school assembly about a phone call from God. <laughs> that was that was a good bit. Good bit. Prop comedy yeah. in the fifties is way ahead of his time. He, he wired a telephone into that auditorium yeah, for rang. that bit. Yeah. That's commitment. And he had to have someone call it. Yeah, no. Carrot top could never. It's a lot of planning. Hmm. So that happens, uh, and that's when the the corporal punishment is introduced, mm. as the old guy really paddles them quite a bit. Which I think, goes back to my first note, which I wrote: bunch of diddlers for sure. Bunch of diddlers. <laughs> yeah, just the. I mean, paddle can't be the, the number look, one. He had a look in his eye. And he's like encountered. It's like, oh, this is weird. Yeah, this is, this weird. is weird. I think that's where they get their enjoyment from. <laughs> yeah. Oh probably. no. <laughs> <laughs> probably uh, bef- before he publishes that article. Or right around then is when he tells the guys to call him Nawanda. Oh, yep. Nawanda forever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but it, it's pretty weird. Um, you know, it's kind of dumb, right? I, I, for the life of me, like, I had no idea why he wanted to be called Nawanda. But I also know there's like at least six liberal arts majors I met in college that would have done that same exact thing. <laughs> yeah. In his defense, it is kind of a cool line when he's limping back to his room yes. and they and they ask him, Oh, Charlie, did you like did you tell them who else is in Dead Poses at? And he goes, Name's Nawanda. Yep. Yep. You just knew. Yep. And also setting up how cool it is to not tell on your friends mm-hmm. uh, for later in the movie. <clears throat> Cameron. <clears throat> Cameron. <laughs> Should mention a little before that happens, but who cares? If you're listening to this, you're probably not watching along. You're not going to know the exact <laughs> order. The scene where Todd, Ethan Hawke's character, who we've barely mentioned, but we'll get to him, uh, hopefully, <laughs> at some point. I don't know. We're pretty far in already. Well, you know. Who cares? He was quiet. Uh, it was like, yeah, one of the main characters. We'll talk about him eventually, hopefully. He has to recite a poem in front of class and... He's terrified to speak in front of class. He doesn't even talk at the Dead Poets Society meetings. Well, he doesn't read. He talks. In front of class, though, he says he didn't do a poem, obviously in a a pretty unsuccessful effort to get out of reading it. So Ron Williams has him stand up and sort of just compose a poem on the spot in front of class. This sequence is awesome. It's, again, another one that is filmed. Essentially, it's just people talking but the camera is like spinning around them as they're mm. spinning in the opposite direction. And it, it makes it just electric in a pretty interesting way. And that's a really cool scene that is not one of the parodied scenes in the movie, but is just as sort of electric as those. I feel like that was one of the scenes that I had remembered as well. The few yeah. scenes that I had remembered was, uh, was that one. It's good stuff. Yeah. He talks about a blanket that as much as you stretch, it won't ever cover your feet or something mm-hmm. to that effect. And, Everyone's like, good poem. Yeah. He got the slow clap. He got he got the slow clap. Robin Williams grabs him by the face and tells him to remember this. So you know <laughs> it's did. important. Hmm. And uh yeah. So we should talk about Neil now. And and basically, after the first hour of the movie, there's not a ton of Robin Williams left. And we switch to a lot of Neil stuff. And Knox goes to a party. Some of them almost get expelled, but it's mostly about Neil getting into this play. And ultimately, that's what leads him to killing himself. There's some stuff in between. <laughs> yeah, so it was his dad's very anti-arts or anything besides um, academics. Mm-hmm. Finally gets auditions for this play, gets the lead role. Um, and then 
he what happens? He ends up telling his dad or his dad finds out? His dad gets told by like one of his friends that oh, he's right, in right, the right. play with like their daughter or their niece. Yeah. That's so right. his dad shows up, tells him he has to quit. He tearfully goes to Keating's office and Keating tells him, well, if this was what you're passionate about and what you want to do and you feel like your whole life's planned for you and, and you don't want it to just go without you having a say in it, you need to tell your dad that. So he does. And at first his dad lets him stay with the play because he says he's in Chicago anyway. But it turns out he, he leaves Chicago uh, to come to this play, apparently. I don't think he told his dad. I also don't think he told you his dad. You don't think so? No, I think he made that whole thing up. And I think his dad was supposed to be in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So he told Mr. Keating, oh, I told him it's fine. He's going to be in Chicago. I, I think you're probably right. And that's he yeah. like he goes back and he's like, he, he really should be in Chicago. And he says it like three times. So it's more of like a nervous like. I think so. And then when yeah. his dad shows up, he's like, I can't believe you did this anyway. So I, I, Yep. Yep. So he he uh, he plays Puck in Midsummer in Midsummer's Night's Dream, and is you know has a really good time doing it. Kills it. He pretty much kills it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, in, in the in the context of the story, based on the reactions of everyone else, but they all are like, "You did such a great job." Yeah. Um, but his father tells him, "Get in the car. We're going home." And they get home. His mother's there, doesn't really stick up for him or anything. And they have uh, a yelling fight. His father tells him he's pulling him out of Welton, which is the name of the boarding school we haven't mentioned yet, and putting him in military academy, and you're going to be a doctor. The thing with the mom, though, and I don't know if it was the director's intention, but there's a whole nother movie behind that whole scene. Because like even before he got there, she's sitting there, she's smoking a cigarette. There's like... A, a gloom like you can tell like she's probably checked out for like 15 years at this point mm-hmm. and like even when he's she's going back upstairs to bed she's like behind him she she knows what he's going through because he's beating her down the same exact way yeah you know and like it, what do you say and then even right before she goes to bed she lets out that like little like and he's like i know it's gonna be okay he, he's a good kid and like that's not what she's crying about you arrogant asshole like yeah. Yeah, she's upset that you're squashing all this boy's hopes and passions and dreams. And yeah, uh, yeah, and it it just seems like really shitty and unfair because, as he says, he has straight A's and he's doing really well in school. Yeah, it's just a power <laughs> trip. I mean, honestly. pretty much, yeah. And that's what everyone, you know, that's what we said before. I don't know even know why these old stuffy men like doing this. It's all. They have their little corner of the world that they have power over and they mm. enjoy that. That's what they want. And there was even one point they, and they just come out and say it. We just prep them for college and the rest will sort itself out. Like that's like their direct quote. And yeah. it's like, uh, that's such a horrible. And like, look at our generation now. They still kept doing that. That was the attitude in the sixties. And it went right up through till now. Mm-hmm. Kids are like, we've did college. What, what are we supposed to do now? But yeah, it's at this point, Neil seeing no way out, uh, kills himself with a gun. That sequence, again, another droning sounds and filmed essentially very eerily. Um, some incredible shots in that, but it's not, you know, fun to revisit. Probably won't for a while. My uh, thing with that, too, is like you could tell where it was going, right? You, yes. you had the sound and you knew what was happening. But the way he did it, even after like the father woke up and heard the noise, I don't know. Like this was my first time seeing him, so I, I wanted to feel like 
he wasn't dead. Like that there was a misfire. There's another way for this story to resolve itself. Like, you know what I, Yeah. It, they did a very good job of like, even though you knew clearly what was going to happen and that it did happen, that I, I just still didn't even accept it until the parents finally did. I, I don't know. I just, it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was almost like too serious for the movie. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. But that, yeah. Oh God. That, yeah. that scene where like that scene post him doing it. And then the dad walking downstairs, him walking into the room, you could see the, the whole like train of thought. He smells the, the gunpowder and then he's like, you could see him connect the dots. And then when he finds him, that was like, Oh my God yeah that was brutal yeah it is brutal and uh the following scene where the other dead poets go to tell todd it seems everyone else already knows and they're all crying and they tell him and then the sequence where they're out in the snow and he's like throwing up and running and falling down and stuff Mm. yeah affecting shit yeah i think um you see at this point robin williams who's been absent for a little bit in the movie he goes into Neil's desk and he finds his copy of the, what, 500 years of poetry or literature or something like that, right? Five centuries of verse or something uh, Yeah, like it's that. like five centuries of verse and he sees his own inscription in the in the front and then he just breaks down and uh, that's... Oh, I was crying. Yeah, I, I yeah. Crying. That stuff is crazy. And then pretty much we go right to the end. Cameron rats out all the other dead poets. Yep. Todd goes into the main guy's office and sees that everyone else has already signed this paper that says that this is all Keating's fault in uh, in a way that like doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. But they need a scapegoat. And even though the Dead Poet Society was dudes hanging out and reading poetry, they'll they'll kind of blame these kids for it if they don't blame Keating. So uh, seeing that everyone else has already signed it, he signs it too. Keating is removed from the school, but comes to collect his personals. (laughs) And that's where uh, the sequence happens where he's leaving the classroom and Todd finally finding his voice stands up to the main administrator who has come to cover the class for the rest of the semester and says, you know, they made us sign it. We didn't want to. And then after briefly being rebuked and sitting back down, he stands on his desk and says, Oh, captain, my captain, the rest of the dead poets and some other people follow suit, <laughs> not Cameron. <laughs> um, and uh, Keating says, thank you, boys. Thank you. And that's the end of the movie. Bagpipes start blaring over the end credits. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was just uh, it was interesting when they were going through the um, like blaming Keating and stuff like that. And they, they gave the reason. And the reason they gave for him killing himself was Keating filling him his mind with a bunch of nonsense. And I, it clicked for me. I, I don't know if like, I've heard that expression before in like other movies and other, like it's something people used to say all the time. Like, oh, that person filled their head with nonsense and they ran off or filled their head with nonsense and they killed themselves. And it's, uh, has nonsense just always been telling people to follow their dreams and believe in themselves because, I don't know. Well, in 50s America. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> yeah, context, like that's, sure. that's the, the expression that I've heard a thousand times and I've never given them thought of like when somebody says, oh, they were told a bunch of nonsense. I'd never stop and go, well, what was the nonsense? Mm. And I, I just, I think it's an important thing to like, to recognize in the movie is he gave a very good message. And at the end it was, it was called nonsense and nobody really stopped and said like, well, what does that even mean? And yeah. I, I haven't in real life either. And it's just, it's, it's something that I'm going to think about if I hear something similar in the future is like, well, explain what you mean by nonsense. Like, what did they actually say? 
Hmm. And I guess the the message at the end, ending on that scene, is that not necessarily that this guy lost his job and his friend died just so he would be not afraid to speak in class. <laughs> but Todd and Meeks and Pitts and, and the other guys, they're all going to be free thinkers, sure, but they're going to be better rounded people. They're just going to, mm-hmm. you know, live for... I almost said, you know, something that would have sounded like a line from Rent, but basically they're going to carpe that DM. Mm. Yeah, well, and I mean, at the end, Slide too, right into that the, DM. there was the, like, when he was packing his stuff, there was the other teacher that had the kids outside that waved to him. So, you know, maybe he made an impact on some of the teachers, yeah. too. They, yeah. they don't kind of show yeah. a lot of that Yeah, there's, there's that like, guy that there's like three times that they talk or whatever, but you can tell he's like... They're friendly. Yeah, he's sort of this guy who's kind of on the stuffy side of things, but he sees... Keating's point. Yeah. And he appreciates that he's like a warm dude trying to do something. He was the Latin guy too. So he was still teaching him Latin, but he was making him oh, walk outside with it. So it was, it was like, Latin you know, yep. exactly. Something. Yeah. Um, so there's uh, one big thing I do want to talk about with this movie that was sort of, I think the last time I saw this movie, I was probably in high school and in the years since, a lot of it gets sanded down to standing on desks, to Carpe Diem, to Robin Williams doing Shakespeare as John Wayne and uh, Josh Charles sexually assaulting someone kind of at a party in a basement. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And you miss all the other stuff, the connected tissue. I forgot Ethan Hawke was in this movie. <laughs> and one thing that was kind of stood out to me this time and then I went online and I saw if this was kind of a common reading and it is um do you guys think Neil's gay oh yeah 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 uh, yeah the the client uh, okay. the roommate the, uh Neil the main guy who dies oh interesting that's a good question I thought his roommate definitely was well that's also part of the reading okay oh okay so I don't uh, part of it is a lot drawn from the part of the play and in the eighties, they're still sort of suffering creatives in Hollywood under the Hayes code. And there, you can't necessarily directly say a character is gay or whatever. You know, oh, it's, okay. it's still kind of this prudish thing, even though it's in the eighties and then certainly a character who's in the 1959 wouldn't be able to admit that or whatever. So there's a lot drawn oh, from, okay. The choice to have it be Midsummer's Night's Dream, the choice to have him be playing Puck and to have him play that instead of just like, if it's just a movie about a kid in a play, he's Hamlet, right? He just does something normal. Hmm. The fact that when they're back at their house and they're yelling at each other, the dad and Neil and the mom, and Neil says, I have to tell you how I feel, and the parents kind of freak out. It's because they know he's gay and they can't admit that. Mm. Yeah. That's part of the reading. A lot of that. Yeah. A lot of that would make sense. I could see that. I think what I would, would guess or like, as you say, that is uh, if he is gay, I don't think he knows yet either. No, I don't think so either. Like, I think he just wouldn't have had a chance to explore that, but I think that's a good ambiguity there. Of like, yeah. mm. I, I, that's, that's also part of what most, how the people who re- read it this way is that, he doesn't know that he's he would have if he got to explore that acting career. But yeah, yeah, he and Todd 
Ethan Hawke's character clearly love each other. Mm, he throws up. Oh, that's very uh, yeah. And like, and the and the rest of the friends recognize that. That's why they tell him last. Yeah. That's why it's so like him just in such a state of grief in the snow outside. Really, just you know, basically rending garments. I I was morning, you know I was gonna say hmm. like that scene when they woke the friend up like really stuck with me because we had a friend commit suicide and yeah. my girlfriend came over and woke me up like that exactly Jeez. to oh, tell wow. me like that it happened so um yeah that yeah, I can that, that hits a nerve well Jeez. well just but just to say like oh that's how you would treat somebody who eat well I mean I guess a little bit different but still a similar context. Yeah, essentially, like, this is the partner of the person. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, Whereas mine was the partner. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I got yeah. you. But yeah, so that's that's kind of a common reading of it. Um, and that is what I picked up on this time. I think it makes sense. Like you said, I don't think he knows necessarily. And, and maybe he's not gay, maybe he's bi, whatever. Nah. Um, but he is very specifically one of the few dudes in the movie who aren't insanely crazy about girls either. Yeah. I don't even yeah. think he mentions. Yeah. yeah. It's not a part of it. It's like any, it's not a part of it. Really. Yeah. It's interesting. It's considering how horny everyone else is. Right. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And he's just kind of this sort of perfect dude. And if I yeah. remember correctly, he did seem, but he was the one that was most questioning about when they were bringing the girls into the cave. Yeah. Well, oh he, yeah. Well, he That's just wanted to too. like stick it to the the, the thing, to yeah, the yeah, program. No, but, yeah. But like, but everyone else was like, "Oh, girls." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like everyone's like, "Girls." He's like, "Yeah, girls." But program. program. Was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. We need to get the meeting going. Come on, and Todd, take the minutes. Um, but then, and then you look at the relationship with him and Todd, and it's really kind of a partner relationship with him pushing Todd, and they, and they talk about the scene that ends in them chasing each other around. Um. <laughs> Uh, and it's when he's really excited about the play and Todd kind of is more the realistic anchor and saying like, I mean, how are you even going to do this? Your dad's going to bring you out of school. Like you can't. And he's just like, just let me dream for like a second. (laughs) Why don't you ever like do anything? And then Todd's like, you don't understand. I'm not like you. I can't just like be cool and talk in front of people and stuff. Can you just like leave me alone? I'm fine on my, on my own. And Neil says, no. <laughs> he goes, yeah, what literally do, what do you says mean, no. No, nope, not going to do that. <laughs> no, what do you mean no? And he's like, no, you're you're better than this. You're going to like push yourself and like do all this stuff. And that's when he steals his, uh, his poetry and makes him chase him around the room. And then it just sort of is like all these guys in the room and just ecstatic energy and stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. They have, they have a really cool relationship in the movie. The part with the desk set and yeah. he has to throw it off the... I like that scene. Like, I guess they have like a, a bridge or something. A like something high ramparts of the school. I definitely pictured it as just like the wall, like over like, you know, like a 20 foot yeah, wall. Right, and yeah, I just, yeah. I really had like a, you know, a comedy like snip where like somebody's like walking by. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I think he, he threw like a protractor and something pointy. Right? It looked sealed until he threw it. And there and was just like yeah, scissors and everything. Yeah. It was just going crazy. Yeah, he basically chucked scissors from like 20 feet off the ground just randomly their whole bit with that thing though was pretty freaking hilarious like, especially it's like oh don't worry i'm sure you'll get another one next yeah, year yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god all the lines yeah well and that oh that was the other thing so he's in the principal's office one of his friends just killed himself uh 
And his dad is like, when he's debating side of the paper, he's like, can you just sign it already? We've been here long enough or something like that. And I'm just like, yeah, he couldn't even pick out a Christmas present. Now like five minutes dealing with his son who just dealt with <laughs> like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he says like, this has gone on long enough. It's like, dude, you just <laughs> got here. What yeah. do you mean? You haven't even, you've just been living your life. You don't even have to parent your kid. Like this is one day for you. Yeah. <laughs> Like, oh, I had meetings to attend. Um, like, oh. It seemed like all their parents were pretty terrible. At least Todd and uh, yeah. Neil. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people send their kids to boarding school for good reasons, but I think a good percentage just don't yeah. want to be parents. Yeah. <laughs> I think the only one they specify is really rich is Charlie slash Nawanda. Oh, yep. Because that's when Neil says, like, oh, I get where my dad's coming from. I'm not rich like Charlie. Um, and he, he does have big rich kid energy. He does. <laughs> For but sure. I mean, yeah. he was pretty well off too. His dad seemed to have a chip on right. his shoulder. Yeah, you yeah, can just yeah. like tell from their whole like thing. I'm like, sure they he were all comfortable. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure they were all comfortable. No, yeah. but his dad probably brushed his shoulders with the dads of the other kids and he wants his son to, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, a couple quotes about that. So there is an article on um, Brightwell Dark Room from 2016 by Christopher Cantwell, who was the co-creator and he also wrote and showrun directed some episodes of halt and catch fire i don't know if you guys ever watched that cool show it starts season one so so but then it becomes like one of the best shows on tv really good about computers you'd like it (laughs) but about that sequence um there isn't after he's talking about his reading of it as neil being gay and his own reflections of when he was in high school there was an upperclassman who was a freshman and there was a senior who also committed suicide that was in theater and stuff. And oh. it, uh, yeah, it's unfortunately an, an experience a lot of people share. And um, then talking about in other movies after his dad sees him at the play, there's like, Oh, I get it now scene or whatever. Uh, or with Ethan Hawk, he talks to his dad, like Todd, talks to his dad and there's like a reconciliation, like, Oh, I got to like start treating you better or whatever. Hmm. Um, but what he says, and here's why I'm glad dead poet society doesn't have that scene of reconciliation between Todd and his father, even after Neil's death, because instead we get that beautiful wide shot of Todd running and falling, screaming and crying out into the endless frozen winter tundra beyond his school. And God, if that doesn't feel like growing up. Oof. Yeah. Good stuff. (laughs) So yeah, that's, uh, Pretty much how I felt about that, too. Yeah. The reason that I kind of, independently from looking it up and seeing that other people felt that way, thought Neil was gay, is because otherwise it's a real escalation for him to kill himself after that, I feel like. Yeah. Because it's just, without that, it's him thinking pretty much where he was before, right? Uh, I don't have control over my own life. I have to do all this stuff. And that sucks, but if it's in, but it, it's kind of like a pretty big escalation to get there. Not that it wouldn't, but just saying it makes a lot more sense if he's had this confrontation with his father and realized that his parents don't want to really hear how he feels about anything. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't understand how he's feeling and they're clearly not supporting him or trying to help him. And he just doesn't see any way out of that mm. pretty much. Yeah, well, he, he said he's like 10 more years. That's a lifetime. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah. And it, I mean, for him, it's almost, you know, what, you're 17. So it's pretty much like seven years short of being as long as he's lived. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like a prison sentence. 
Right, yeah. In lieu of a game, I just have some thought questions. Is um is Keating a good teacher? I think so. So some of the criticism of the movie is that he wants he keeps saying he wants them to be free thinkers, but then he keeps telling them to do things and they do exactly what he told them to do. Well, <laughs> yes, but then when they were marching around uh the Oh, the, yeah. He stood up against the wall and he was like, I'm exercising my right to not do that. And he's like, there you go. That's exactly. Yeah. So he probably had a whole lesson plan for like nine more months of teaching that maybe would have gotten the right. rest of yeah. them there that's, too. That's true. Yeah. But that's I, fair. My, my answer to the question too would be like by any like of current curriculum standards. No, he, he wouldn't be a good teacher. But by like, did he get people to think and like, did he get kids interested in the subject? A- absolutely. I mean, one of my notes on it was, uh, it's funny that schools play this movie all the time and like not realize, like you yeah. you still do all of this stuff. <laughs> Don't you like, get it? It's not as extreme, but yeah. So no, he's a great teacher, but by standards, I can see where critics would say he wasn't. Yeah, yeah, that he's he's more just, uh, you know, not not my thoughts, but that's what critics said is that he's selling them think differently. By which I mean exactly like me. Mm. Well, how do you tell somebody to think differently? You know, like you always end up in that paradox. Yeah, I don't know. That's what Apple did, right? Isn't that their slogan, think different or whatever? Oh, man. They made the same phone for 15 years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> kind of on that, on that note, too, I feel like not a lot of teachers teach or whatever. It's it's not really taught how to live, No. which is like such a big part of life, but it's not really addressed in schools unless you get a particular kind of teacher or mentor mm-hmm. or, or something outside of the school system. Yeah, they teach memorization. Exception, though. Yeah. It's it's just memorization and we need application. You need to know how to critically think. You need to be able to find information. You need to know how to apply it. it that's the important parts. We yeah. have all of the information. Memorization is shit now. Nobody yeah. needs to memorize anything. Right, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I think that's, you know, what I take out of the movie isn't so a lot of people a lot of criticism also comes from like humanities teachers or human English majors and stuff who were like, this isn't actually criticism. What he's teaching them is not what we call criticism. It's what we more call appreciation. It's fandom, right? He's saying, don't think critically about these things. Just let it wash over you and just like be happy. Again, that's, I'm just saying that's, yeah, that's the criticism of this is that he's not teaching them analysis and criticism He's teaching them poetry appreciation. And does that in a, some kind of sick way poison our culture because this is considered such an inspirational movie. And now anytime somebody criticizes a Marvel movie, you have a billion people saying, why can't you just let people enjoy things? Okay, fair. <laughs> Counter. And like, even as they started like reading that, like, this is what makes a good poem. My fr- I wrote how to grade poetry. Dumb. Yeah. There's no like yeah. you you can't tell me what is and what isn't a good poem. You can tell me what is and isn't popular. You know, so like you can have all of these rules and you can say like, well, this isn't academically a great poem. Well, then you've missed the entire purpose of poetry. Do you know what I, like you can grade things as much as you want, but that's not the point of writing poems. So what did they poison? They poisoned your academic concept of poetry you want to sell to other English majors. Sorry, that's my soapbox. <laughs> yeah, no, that yeah, that makes sense. How do you how do you judge a poem? It, it wasn't that like his whole thing was that he was saying you're like yeah you're gonna do math and you're gonna you're gonna live your life and whatever. Those are important. Yeah, those are important, but you're also a human, 
and part of being a human is self-expression and passion and and appreciation of of what that is. We live for bad poetry. I yeah. mean, that's oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, just trash people living for bad poetry. Oh yeah. <laughs> um I, I for me though it's not so much about that. I think like we've talked about already, it's just these different things happening in the movie just work on me. Mm. And uh, it doesn't matter necessarily if it's uh, an accurate depiction of how people in academia critically think about poetry, which is important. Mm -hmm. But to me, I understand why that irks them. But for me, it doesn't really affect my enjoyment of the movie. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm more of an appreciation person than a criticism person. I I think you could argue that's what this podcast is. (laughs) Yeah. We yeah, do a little that's what we're doing. I hope so, but you know, <laughs> I get it also in, in both directions. Have you picked a, a movie that like you really despise? Haven't yes. Like? I think the way this works is that I mean, we talked about maybe for the Christmas episode oh, right, right, doing right. the um Star Wars holiday special, which is oh really difficult to get through. Mm. It's really bad. I didn't even know that existed. And uh, it, we thought it would be, and I mentioned this in the Discord, but we thought it'd be funny if Corey, who hasn't actually watched a Star Wars movie beginning to, to oh, end, no. had only seen the Star Wars <laughs> holiday special. I have no idea what this movie is. That would be kind of great, though, because then when he's like, I don't like Star Wars, he'd be like, why? It's like, well, the holiday special is terrible. <laughs> you think based on the title, it's just like something they showed on TV, so it's only like 40 minutes long. It's an hour and 40 minutes long. And um, it's just real weird. And Is it like the original cast? It's the original cast seems seemingly dragged there against their will. <laughs> the plot line is they're going to Kashik, Kashik, whatever, to meet up with Chewbacca's family. Um, Chewbacca's to, Santa. <laughs> no. Damn. To, to celebrate Life Day. Yep. Um, and... Uh, Chewbacca's family also speaks Wookiee and not <laughs> Galactic Common. So most of the characters are going, rah, rah, and that's like the whole, it's a, it's an oh, hour wow. and 40 minutes did, long. Did they subtitle it? Of course not. God. Oh, no. No, so they'll go like, rah, and, they'll be, and uh, Mark Hamill will be like, Chewbacca's dad says hi. And like, that's, <laughs> he just sees the translator. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Mark Hamill's in it. When was Harrison Ford's a little bit in it. I think, but, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm just based on the vibe, I would imagine probably between New Hope and Empire. Okay. Based on the vibe. Maybe it comes out in like 1985. I don't know. Yeah. Um, we'll probably cut some of this out in case we end up doing it just so we can talk about it and react then. It sounds like a fantastic movie. Um, but but yeah, it's uh, it goes on so long. There's multiple segments that do not feature characters <laughs> that are popular with fans. Awesome. Um, B. Arthur from Golden Girls has a song. Hell <laughs> yeah. Um, there I'm are sorry. no. There We're are no. We're talking about bad movies. You're yeah. talking about the best <laughs> yeah. movie ever. Dead Poets Society. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um. Was there anything else? Oh, yeah. I mean, worth mentioning, Walt Whitman, mostly presumed to be a gay man, which is an mm-hmm. important context for what we were talking about before, and I forgot to mention it then. Oh, yeah. the the one note I had I thought was fun was from The Cave when they were talking about the ghost stories is uh, OG Black Mirror episodes. Mm-hmm. So when they were talking about putting the puzzle together and it was the killer's face in the window. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's Black Mirror. <laughs> 
Uh, anything else we want to say about Dead Poet Society? Um, besides, like, uh, I understand a lot of the criticism, but it doesn't affect my enjoyment no. of the movie. Sometimes you just got to go by what you feel. And yeah. See. The craft and the general and some of the sequences just worked on me. Yeah, and beautiful. whatever, I'm a sucker. Hmm. I love Robin Williams. That's what me I do. Me too. Suck the marrow, don't choke on the bone. Yes, I like that line. I like that a lot too. Very nice. Thanks for being on, guys. Suck uh, the yeah. marrow. Trash people. <laughs>